0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Recently, I walked into um, one of my children's bedrooms to say goodnight to them. And they have in in their room, it's like a large beanbag, but instead of what's usually in a beanbag, which I assume is beans, like I don't really know for sure, but I'm just, I think that's a safe assumption. But instead of beans inside that bag, we it's just like the the fabric itself, and it is there for them to unzip, and then the kids can put their stuffed animals and store their stuffed animals in this bean bag, and then it turns into a soft, fluffy piece of furniture, which I think might be one of the greatest inventions, like since the smartphone. I mean, that is like amazing. Okay, because stuffed animals were starting to overtake our house, and so we needed a solution. So this is a nice solution for storage and also practical. So I came in, and um, they the light was on, and our kids read for a few minutes before they go to bed, and so um, my child was sitting there in the corner on this stuffed animal beanbag and sitting there reading. So I got down, you know, and sat down with them and um, we prayed and uh, just kind of reflected just for a minute. And I noticed that the zipper compartment was was open a little bit and I could see, you know, maybe just about like that much. And I could see through there the kind of the multicolored stuffed animals. And so we're talking, they're sitting on the beanbag and I just zip it closed. And just without thinking, I started talking, and immediately they like reached over and they unzipped it again, like with urgency. And I said, uh, "What do you want that open? And they look at me like, yeah. And I said, why? And they said, well, how are they gonna breathe if you zipper that closed? <laughs> I'm like, we're operating with a different understanding about stuffed animals here, okay? <laughs> if they are needing to breathe, how do they feel about living in a bag? Okay, can we? You're sitting on them. I mean, for the record, okay, I got multiple questions here. Um, but we have just a different understanding about stuffed animals, okay? And there, there's a, a, a difference. And one of the differences between a child and, a, and an adult is they operate like stuffed animals are real. Another example of this also recently transpired for some reason, one of my childhood stuffed animals has somehow made it, survived, okay, and made it into my house, which I don't know how this happened. It migrated maybe from my parents' attic. It's in my house, and it's this little, like, it's this big, it's a walrus that I think I bought with my allowance at SeaWorld on a field trip, okay? And I remember I named him Waldo, And so when my my kids, somehow we like appeared in my house and my kids were like, "Um, what is this? I'm like, well, this is something my head when I was a kid. It's Waldo. And um, my kids recently, like I come into my room and I keep finding Waldo on my bed. And I'm asking them about it. And they're both like very like, they feel very deeply about this. They're like, Waldo is sad that you're not sleeping with him. And I said, oh, okay, we'll leave him there, okay? And then when they leave, I'm like, you know, trying to like hide him somewhere, okay? We operate on different fundamental premises about, they operate like stuffed animals are real, okay? And the difference is, now there are sometimes, they are not operating like certain things are real, like certain laws of gravity, you know? Like they might jump out of a tree when I would not, because they're not really understanding how real gravity is or maybe they wanna see my phone and they're not handling it like it is really expensive. Okay, like there are differences that we have. And and here's going from immaturity to maturity is the concept of knowing what is actually real and acting like it's real. That's the idea. I would say that's the difference between children and adults, but that's not always the case going from immaturity to maturity is acting like the things that are actually real are actually real. And the same is true when it comes to spiritual maturity, biblical maturity, maturing in your Christian faith. It's less about, I I think, maturing in our faith, is less about learning new pieces of information and more about living out the reality of the basic information. Not that there's not new information that can be learned and should be learned, but it goes back to just... The gospel, sometimes we say around here, the gospel meaning the good news about what Jesus accomplished so that we could be saved. The gospel is not just the ABCs that we're like, hey, okay, got it, let me move on. The gospel is one pastor put it, is the A to Z. And so maturing in our faith is not moving on from the gospel and learning a bunch of other information, maturing and in following Jesus is living like the gospel is actually real more and more deeply. And there's a particular passage that Jesus, he he prays, he's praying, it's a prayer of Jesus, and it's a significant moment, and I want you to see that the outflow of the gospel is something that is probably not what we would immediately associate as like a core fundamental outflow of the gospel. Um, But I want you to see this because it was important to Jesus, so it's gotta be important to us. I want you to go with me to John chapter 17. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go with me to John chapter 17. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you the significance of this particular text. Back in John 13, they're at the Last Supper. Jesus is washing their feet. Judas leaves and goes out into the night to betray Jesus. And then in John 14, Jesus starts his final major teaching to the disciples And it ends in John 17 with a prayer of Jesus. This whole chapter is Jesus lifting his eyes up to heaven and praying. And then right after that, they go to Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested. It's a Thursday night, tried and then crucified on Friday. And so this is his final recorded prayer that they hear right before he walks through his uh, arrest and, um, and betrayal and execution. And so this is significant. And we're gonna just jump to the very end of the prayer and he recaps many of the themes of the entire prayer. So let's pick it up, John 17, and we're gonna look at verse 20. Jesus' words to God, the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Just Let me just read that verse one more time. We're going to pause just with this first uh, verse and get our bearings. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is about to ask for something. This is God the Son asking God the Father for something for another group of people. Who is it? He says, those who believe in me. Now, let's not just skip over that. Let's actually define, what does he mean, believe in me? Like, those who are, they're rooting for Jesus. You know, they believe in him. You know, they're supporters, they're fans. They they like Jesus. What does he specifically mean? Because that idea of believing in Jesus is a major theme through this book. And actually, earlier in his prayer, he's actually talked about that in a little more detail. So what does he mean just by those who believe in me? That's not a throwaway line. That's very rich and dense. If we went back to the very beginning of his prayer in verse three, this is what he says, and this is eternal life. Well, that's a big statement. And this is eternal life, that they know you, he's talking to God the Father, this is a prayer, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, referring to himself, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here's what he says. He says salvation, one of the the, several different ways he describes being saved, getting to heaven, Finding eternal life, he says to the Father that they would know you, that they would know who you are. You are the one true God. There is no other. That they would know you, the one who sent God the Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. See, what he's saying here is he's not just saying that they would believe in a God. Now, hang in here with me for a second. The Bible, it it doesn't say that to be saved is to just believe that there is a God. That's not just those who are theists get to heaven. No, it's what Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they would know you, God. I think probably in our culture where we feel the most comfortable is where we would say, hey, um, look, I believe there's a God. I have what I think is true about God. You have what you feel like is true about God. And that, that's the safest. So you think what you want about God. I think what I want to believe about God. And we're all good. You're good. I'm good. And we'll all just kind of, what do we each want to believe about God? And we just go with that. But honestly, that's not logical or biblical. Jesus is saying to the living God that they would know you. He's assuming it's, God's not just a concept that we all just come up with our own belief. That's not even logical. I mean, think about it, have you ever had a, um, maybe it's a podcast or even like a radio show host that you listen to for a really long time, like you know that voice, maybe you've listened to it for many hours or many years, and then one day you see a picture of that person And you're like, that is not at all what I thought that they would look like. You ever had that feeling? And now it's like a little weird because now you're listening to their voice and you're trying to reprogram that face to like sound like that, but you've listened to them so long. It's kind of like hard to reprogram, but it would be insane to be like, no, that's not right. No, how I had it in my head. That is right. That's not it. That's not them. Like, that's just, that's literally, that's insanity. That's just denying reality. I have, if they're they're a real person, like you're a real person, like I'm a real person, and if I'm saying that God is a real being, I don't get to define who God is any more than I get to define who you are, or your child is, or your spouse is. They are a real person. They are who they are. God is who he is. It is illogical to say, well, I feel like he's this way, That's just as absurd as me saying, well, I feel like you're blue, you know? I feel like you're purple. Like, that's not for me to say. Who who am I to say that? I can't define an existing being. There is a reality. And maybe because God is so transcendent and invisible, Maybe we feel like it's okay to each one come up with their own theory as if it's a philosophical concept, but what Jesus is doing is he's disrupting that by talking to God, the being, say that they might know you, you are a being, you exist. It's not logical to come up with our own thoughts about God, and it's not biblical. God is who he is, and honestly, the most logical, and I would argue the 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 position that reflects the most humility is to just say, God, you are real. Who have you revealed yourself to be? And I will accept that and reprogram my thinking around who you have said that you are. And here's the incredible thing. Who he has revealed that he is, is so much more exceedingly better than anything you or I could concoct in our own brains. Who is he? Well, what did he say back in John chapter three? Famous words, John three, 16 and 17. This is who God the father is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who is God? God is is, almighty, is the creator that looks down on his creation and so desperately loves them, but sees that they're so desperately lost that is the greatest act of generosity imaginable. He gives God the son, his own son, he sends to earth to save us. And he makes it emphatically clear, Jesus didn't come to give a bunch of teachings to condemn us. He didn't come to say, look how bad you're living, shape up. He came to, to, he did teach, but he came to save. He came to die. He died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that we wouldn't die and we could live forever in eternity. That's who God is. He's that kind of God. And so what Jesus says is he's he's praying and he says, for those who believe in you and believe that you sent me, for those who believe in the gospel. Now look really carefully at this because this is, This is amazing. He says, I pray for these. He's talking about the disciples. This is the verse we we, we just read, verse 20. I'm praying for these, but not only these here, not only these disciples that are here with me in the upper room that I just passed the bread to and poured out the wine for, who I just washed their feet. I'm not just praying for these disciples. But listen to this. But all who will believe by their word, all who will one day hear their testimony and their witness and will believe that God is a God who loves the world and saved, saved the world and offers salvation to the world through his only son. That's you and me, Christian. Get what he's doing here. Jesus is praying for something with you in mind. To my knowledge, this is the only passage I can think of where Jesus is explicitly praying for his disciples and all future disciples specifically, explicitly. He's saying, I'm praying for all future followers of Jesus. He has you in mind with this request. He's saying, I ask father you're about to watch something that God the son Jesus is praying to God the father for you I mean what could that possibly be the one time and we know he intercedes for us on our behalf but what we have an explicit account of Jesus praying for something for us what is it going to be let's see what he says next let's see what Jesus prays for you and for me this is uh, verse 21 that they may all be what's the word there one that they all that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Here's what he asked. This is what Jesus requests for you explicitly for future Christians that we'd be unified. That together we would be one. Man, that's not necessarily what I would have first thought he might pray for. But nice if could you just pray for like easy times the nice of Jesus like one thing comfort but pretty much promise that's not going to be the case could you just could you pray like Jesus in this one prayer could you pray for for success and and wealth there's no promise of that Jesus, could you pray for, like, just protection of our bodies and good health? No promise of that. How about, I mean, Jesus, I mean, at least pray that your church is built up and just at least pray that we would all bear fruit for your kingdom. He doesn't need to pray for that. He already said, I will build my church. And actually, earlier in the same uh, speech, before he prayed to the disciples, In John 15, he said that we're like vines and the vine dresser who is, uh, we're like branches from the vine, excuse me, and the vine dresser, the one who tends to the vine, is God the Father, and he's the one that's going to see to it that we bear fruit. I mean, he already said that that's in the Father's hands. So what's on Jesus' mind here, what he's praying for is that believers would be unified. It's good prayer because that's not easy. Well, how unified are you talking, Jesus? I mean, we can be like, you know, hey, what's up? All right, we're good. You know, like like that kind of unified. Like how how unified are you are you meaning here? <laughs> Listen to this. This is crazy. He says it in twice, twice in two verses. That they may be unified. He's praying this to God, to the Father. He says, God the Son says to God the Father that they may be unified as we are unified, Father. I mean, what does that mean? He's saying that we're to be one in the same way the Trinity is, is one. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What is Trinity? Trinity is a word that for, the, for generations the church has used to describe a concept written in the Bible cover to cover essentially there's what the trinity teaches is there's one god there's only one god and that one god is eternally existent in three persons they're all equally god and we that's one of the most beautiful but also most mysterious parts of the the nature of God and it doesn't uh, it doesn't bother us because we think okay well why would I not be I mean I shouldn't be surprised that the nature of God can't fit into my little brain I mean if everything about God could fit into my little brain then suspiciously it kind of sounds like some other little brain came up with it but if it's something that's beyond my capacity to fully grasp that actually rings true when we're talking about the nature of God and how God's revealed who he is as there's one god but eternally existent in three persons god the father the son and the holy spirit and but yet they're one god and so then we read this and Jesus is like man that my people my all the future disciples would be one as we are one god the son says to god the father that's a pretty high bar for unity that's what he's asking the father to do in us that's pretty intense And then he says why he's asking, did you notice this? Here's the stakes that the world may know that I'm from God. If my people are unified, Jesus is saying, if my people are unified, then the world will know that their message that I was sent from the Father, Jesus says, is true. Their unity is evidence of that. Okay, let's just, let me read through the rest of this prayer. Let's pick it up in verse 23. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am going to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's the end of his prayer. That's interesting. Now, just back up for with me for a second. In there, he even talks about that there, that we would be perfectly one, that our oneness would be completed so that the love that God sends is, is in us, showing that Jesus is in us, his Holy Spirit is in us. I mean, these are, this is intense language. And then he ends his prayer. And after this, they walk across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to think about this. Is this what you would expect to be the last thing Jesus prays for before his passion and his suffering, before what he had been waiting for all time to accomplish? Praying for our unity, is that what you'd expect to be the last thing he'd pray for? I mean, you don't get me wrong, unity's great. We love unity. Unity's there's a sweetness to unity. When churches come together and partner together, I mean, it's special. It's neat. When we come and worship together, you know, once a year through Church United, we come together right about this time of year, usually the week after Thanksgiving, and we're doing it again this year. Um, uh, I think it's November 30th. We're coming together, and we're going to all worship together. The churches of South Florida come together and worship—that's great. That's special. We look like right, wow—they're from a different church. They're from a different church, and it's a reminder we all worship Jesus. I mean, that's special. I mean, unity is okay. I mean, it's great. We like it. I mean, when it happens, it's good. It's hard to do sometimes. I mean, there's there's difficulty. I mean, there's difficulty behind unity. I mean, that means that we all have to protect each other behind each other's back. That means we have to forgive each other when we are wounded by each other. Uh, I mean, that that means that we've got to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing and not uh, overemphasize the secondary things because we have to be reminded that we're unified by far more than what divides us as believers. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Unity is hard, but man, yeah, it's special. But, you know, it's more than just something that's neat, isn't it? Um, City Rev, I mean, unity is essential to our history, our story. Without other churches believing that reality of unity, we wouldn't be here, City Rev. In fact, this past weekend, we did a service project as a reminder and a reflection of that. We partnered with a church in Cooper City called Christ the Rock Community Church. A church is very special to our history. Pastor Darrell is a is a dear friend uh, of mine, and uh, but it goes even deeper than just our friendship. It's that long before, without Christ the Rock, City Rev uh, might not be here. They were essential to us. There was a time in our first couple of years, even before uh, Rebecca and I were here at this church, when we were just a church plant, and our trailer got stolen. And we had no equipment because we were setting it up and tearing it down in a cafeteria. And we had, what are we going to do? How do we set up and tear down? And uh, Christ the Rock stepped in and they actually gave us a box truck and let us park it on their, on their property. And so we would set up in a cafeteria and our set up and tear down volunteers would drive over to Christ the Rock on Sunday morning, get in a box truck and drive a, a big white box truck across town with all of City Rev's equipment in it, but the faded words, Christ the Rock on the side. Cause it's all really one church, isn't it? And then we, we uh, would set up and tear down and pack it back in the truck, take it back to Christ the Rock, park it there for safety. And it was that, that church that invested in us in a time of need. In fact, in those early years, I remember it was uh, late in December and I got a phone call from one of their pastors, a friend of mine, Pastor Will, and he, he calls me up. And, and I remember we were going through ch- uh, challenging times at that time. And he called, he called me up and said, hey, um, our, our financial year is, matches the calendar year. So we're coming to the end of our, our calendar year. And um, we have money left over in our outreach budget. And uh, so we wanted to, we don't want to hold that back. We want to give that out. So would it be okay if Christ the Rock sent over to City Rev $20,000? I said, I think we could make it an exception for you. <laughs> we, we'd be, I mean, if that helps you out. I mean, that's what if you just, for the sake of your outreach budget. No, of course I was speechless. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't thank him enough for his investment. Christ the Rock having a vision to invest In City Rev and so now we've always had that as part of our vision and now looking forward to opportunities to invest in other churches and have over the years and so this past weekend we came together uh, people from City Rev both Cooper City and West Pines campuses over there at Christ the Rocks campus and worked there with a place in time ministry packing food and baskets to give out to people at Thanksgiving time reflecting the same unity that's been in our history as two churches but the same unity that's been true of us all All the way back to when Jesus united us by his blood. That is what is true of us as brothers and sisters. I mean, think about it, church. I mean, unity is not just neat. Unity is part of our story. Unity is is critical for our mission. What's the vision that God has has put on our heart as a church? Is that we want to see South Florida transformed by the gospel. But we've we've always known we're not going to do that as one church. We're we're not going to reveal Jesus so that the city is revolutionized just as one church. It's part of the church of South Florida. I mean, think about it. As a local church, we cannot achieve our vision church without being a part of a whole South Florida church. I mean unity is essential to our mission unity is beautiful it's special unity is part of our story unity is essential to our 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 mission but listen church unity is central to the gospel the story of the gospel flows right from that we were far from god We, who are far away from God, get brought in by the power of the gospel. We have, none of us have any business being followers of Jesus. We have no business being children of God. The Bible says we are enemies of God because of our sin, but he loved us and brought us into his family, adopted in by the work of Jesus Christ. We, who are enemies, get adopted as sons and daughters. That is how powerful the work of reconciliation is between us and God. And we're told that we have a ministry now of reconciliation. Shouldn't unity be a fundamental marker of us who are following Jesus because we've been unified to God? I mean, it's central to the gospel. I mean, I wonder if as we think about unity, I wonder if we have the same urgency I mean, yes, unity is difficult. It's hard to get along. It's hard to love unlovable people. It's hard to to find greater unifying, uh, unifying ideals when there's so many things that divide us, when we're surrounded in a world that is so divisive and fractured. Yes, unity is difficult, but I wonder if we have the same urgency that Jesus did for unity. Because he prayed that prayer and went into the darkness across the Kidron Valley and went into an an, an olive grove, a garden, where they crush olives. And he prays in agony by himself alone and waiting until they hear a clamoring as this, his own disciples are now falling asleep on the job and they see a clamoring coming down into the darkness from Jerusalem, walking down and following their trail in the Kidron Valley and they see that they're torches and they're carrying weapons and probably some armor and to their dread as they kind of wake themselves up, they're coming right for them and leading the way is Judas. Someone who walked with him for years and he walks up and of all terrible ironies, kisses him on the cheek, finalizing the betrayal and they arrest Jesus and all his friends abandon him and deny him and they march him through a false trial leveraging these these false accusations against him They're just not true and they smack him and they punch him and then they t- take him over to the Roman governor and then the Roman governor passes him over to the the, the Jewish king of that region Herod who mocks him further and then gives him back to this Roman governor who's absolutely spineless and won't stand up for justice, but instead brings him before a mob that's been stirred up and they demand that he's executed. And not just any execution, they want the worst execution that was known in their day. And to try and pacify their bloodlust, he, he has Jesus whipped within an inch of his life and he brings them back out as a bloodied mass, a horrifying, unrecognizable, bloody pulp before them. And that's not enough for what they want. They want him dead in agony, nailed to a cross to die slowly for hours as a spectacle Between the at, at the most swollen time that Jerusalem is, just filled with people walking by and mocking him. And so he washes his hands and says, no, this is uh, I'll, fine. If you want him crucified, I wash my hands of it. You can't wash your hands of it. Your job is to uphold justice, and you're letting an innocent man die a tortured death. And they put a cross on his back, and they march him, barely able to make it up the hill. And then they lay his lacerated back on on this wooden, rough-hewn wooden cross, and they drive nails through his wrists and through his feet, and they hoist him up and leave him hanging there naked in shame and humiliation as they walk by, and he dies. The last thing he prayed for was that his believers and all future believers would be one. I don't know about you. But I don't want our generation of Christians to not live up to our Savior's request of the Father. I want to be a part of a generation that we see the miracle of unity happen among believers as a reflection of the miracle of the gospel. Christian, here's what spiritual maturity is. So we live like the gospel is actually real. What do I mean by that? Christian, prioritize your passion like the gospel is real. What is the gospel? Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. There is nothing else that can save. Nothing. The gospel is it. There's no other economic, political, philosophical medical ideology that can save. There is one message that can save. It is the gospel. Make the gospel of first importance in your life. Not some other, even other biblical doctrine. There are other things that are important to the Bible, but the Bible itself says, this is what's of first importance, the gospel. So if you have one passion that you if if you had the power to convince your neighbors your friends your family the people that'll be around your thanksgiving table if you could have the power to convince the people in your life of one passion please make it the gospel it is the only truth that is the power to save Everything else falls short and falls secondary. May your life be a beacon for one truth, the gospel. May everything else fall away. May all other hopes, all other expectations fall away surrounding the one truth you've been released into the world to carry. Let it be the gospel. Because if the gospel is real and God sent his son to save the un- the, the whole world, Whole humanity, but all of the universe, all of creation is groaning for that to be finally consummated. Then how could anything else distract us from the one priority of the gospel? Prioritize your passion like the gospel is real because the gospel is what unifies us to our brothers and sisters in Christ amid all the other differences. Forgive profusely like the gospel is real. Prioritize your passion like the gospel is real. Forgive profusely like the gospel is real. Jesus told us himself. He said that we have been forgiven so much and out of the unimaginable forgiveness that we've been given, out of that we forgive others. Here's what the scripture says in Ephesians And it's something that often holds us back from unity it says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice he says be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you christian i don't know how you've been hurt how you've been wounded i don't know how you are clamorously disagreeing with other Christians in your life, but put all of that away and out of the overflowing forgiveness you've received, forgive one another that we might have unity as Jesus asked and and prayed. Fight for that unity through your forgiveness. Here's the third one. Protect generously like the gospel is real. If there's a Christian, another church, another Christian tradition, protect them. How are your words Christians? Are your words weapons? Do they do violence? Or are your words a healing salve to the hurting? Here's what the scripture says in Book of Proverbs, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Words can be violent, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If we're as urgent for unity as our Savior was, may your words be perpetually and always healing. And often that means speaking the truth, but speaking the truth with love and gentleness, that our demeanor may be full of love. May we prioritize um, our passion like the gospel is real. May we forgive profusely like the gospel is real. May we protect generously like the gospel is real, all in answer to the Lord's request of the Father. Because here's what he said, around the table, right after Judas walked out of the room, what Jesus said was this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The marker for The work of a disciple, a true group of disciples, is they love each other well. I mean, if the world sees angry, divided, fearful, stressed, anxious people, they say, well, that's just like me. But if they find a people and they're like, wow, look at the the love, the joy, and the peace. I mean, look how patient they are with each other. Look at, they're just just that person is just overwhelming with kindness. I mean, to each other, but even to their enemies, they're kind. They're just good, faithful, consistent people. They're always gentle. I mean, they, they're fervent in what they believe and they stand for what they believe, but it's always with gentleness and respect that they communicate it. They never just lose their self-control and fly off and get angry. And No, they're just, what's in them that's producing just such a beautiful display of love for one another and unity for each other? May our words and our demeanor and our lives reflect the unity that the gospel has purchased for us and reflect the reconciliation that the gospel worked between us and the father, us and God. I want to end with this. Maybe you're here and the best first step for you is to enter into that relationship with God. God is not something that we just make up. He's a living being that's revealed who he is. And who he is is someone that loves you so much that he sent his son to die. And his son, Jesus Christ, our savior, the son of God died on a cross. But here's the incredible news. He defeated death itself, rose again, appeared to his followers. He defeated death, paid for all of our sins, and that work is offered to us to reconcile us to God. You can find forgiveness today by the work of Jesus. No matter how far you feel from God, you can find forgiveness today by the work of Jesus and be reconciled to God. And if you want to take that step, I would love to lead you in a prayer. Would you just take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes? if you're here and you say, look, I feel like I'm a thousand miles away from God. I feel like he's angry with me. I feel like God doesn't want me, sees the things that I've done. Or maybe you say, look, I think I've just been kind of religious and kind of making up what I want to believe about God, but I just need to embrace who God actually is, the reality of God and that he loves me and that he saved me. And today you want to give your life over to Jesus. And you say, look, I'm tired of trying to run it myself. I can't, I can't do it. Imagine what a life could be when you've been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus and the Father says, I'm making you one of my children. Maybe you've turned to every other place you know, but you want to surrender to the work that Jesus did for you and be reconciled to God and forgiven of all your sins. If you're ready to take that step, just make this your prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer and just make this your words to God. Just say this to him silently right there in your seat, whether you're here or at Cooper City or watching online, just make this your word. Say, Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I believe in you and I will follow after you. I'll make you my king. In Jesus' name, amen. That was your prayer just then. We want to celebrate with you. And uh, what I would encourage you to do if you're here at the West Pines campus, you can just go through to that front lobby and there's a guest services table. We would love to just celebrate with you. They'll give you a Bible if you took that step today. If you are um, watching online, you can go to cityrev.org slash faith. Just grab your phone, go to cityrev.org slash faith. am just going to ask you a couple questions so that we can mail you a Bible because this is such an important step that you've taken. We want to celebrate that with you and equip you on this journey. Church, we're going to close with a song. And in the same way that so many in the Old Testament, they knew God, they walked with God, we're going to present our prayer, our song to God that we could know Him like they did. Would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.